You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Week 87 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. It's official. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation a of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right, so the Electoral College met on Monday, December 14th. And they gave their 306 electoral votes to Joe Biden. Just as Joe Biden was going over the top of the Electoral College vote, Donald Trump fired the Attorney General of the United States. A lot of people saying, ah, who cares? I'm like, yeah, he's going to put some black lackey in there that's going to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the Bidens. You know, whatever. Whatever this person does in the next uh, four weeks uh, should be undone by the next Attorney General of the United States of America. I don't care what it is. This is a ridiculous thing. But it's over. The election is over. Now, the Republicans will try to do something uh, when Congress counts the votes, but they don't have the votes to make anything happen. So Joe Biden will be the president of the United States. Donald Trump will continue to grift um, to his supporters. And and that's ridiculous. I I sent out a tweet yesterday, which was actually the biggest tweet I have ever had, which was just me sending. There's been bigger tweets that other people have sent that have mentioned me. But this is the biggest tweet that just, you know, like I'm thinking of something and I tweet. I saw this, you know, solicitation. I get a lot of Trump solicitations in my in one of my gmail accounts uh because you know i i worked at fox news and i i have uh 
you know, I, I've got a lot of conservative friends, so I must be on some list. And uh, I get a lot of Trump email solicitations, and I just saw one asking for more money as the Electoral College was voting. I see a, uh, I see a email from the Trump campaign begging for more money to help stop the steal or whatever they were calling it at the time. And I tweet out, it's time, you know, Joe Biden, the Electoral College has won, voted. Joe Biden has won. Uh, if you're getting solicitations from Donald Trump, why don't you send that money to a food bank? Because thanks to this guy's failed presidency, food banks need your money now more than ever. Now, I'm paraphrasing what I tweeted. I can't remember what I tweeted, but it was, it got, I don't know, a lot of people retweeted it. Thank you. Um, I'm still a uh, poor uh, Twitter uh, I, I still still have a poor following on Twitter for a guy who does as much television as I do. I, like I said, 2,500 appearances on national television. I have the Twitter following of a very popular high school person, but I got about 7,000 retweets um, on on that tweet, which was pretty good. 7,000 likes. I don't know how many retweets I got. And so, But it's, it's true. This guy is still grifting, and there are people lining up, uh, you know, at food banks, people who you know, in past years would be giving to food banks because this economy is, you know, in shatters for a lot of people. Yeah, you could talk about the stock market all you want. And that's great for some people. It is not great for everyone. And there are millions of people who don't have a job this holiday season who need help. So, you know, please think about giving to a food bank and some other charities uh, as the year comes to a close. I know I am um, and my family is as well because it's just... uh, it's been a devastating year for a lot of people, and and thank God, um, you know I have the ability to do that, and I hope some of you do too. Um, but to see this president continuing to grift people who I I'm sure don't really have the money to give him in most cases, it, it's just a pathetic thing. He is a pathetic person who has, you know, preyed on this on these people who support him and who love him and who trust him. He's preyed on them. And now he wants, you know, just enough people to keep him wealthy for the rest of his life. Think about this. He got 20 million. He's got, you know, he got 73 million votes or whatever he got. He gets 20 million of those people to commit $5 a month to him. He's making over a billion dollars a year, probably more than he's ever made in his life. I mean, I know he likes to pretend to be a billionaire, but he's never, I don't think he's ever had a year where he's made a billion dollars. So he's going to bring in $1.2 billion a year to his leadership pact, money he could do anything he wants with, pay himself a nice fat salary, travel around the world in a private jet for the rest of his life because he is going to sucker people who love and believe him into thinking that, one, the election was rigged and stolen, and two, that he might run for election in 2024, which I don't think he will. I think he's using it both as a fundraising mechanism to continue the grift And I also think it's partially a shield against prosecution because, you know, if you're running for president and, you know, the DA in New York City wants to prosecute you for the crimes you've done, you could always cry that it was politics and somebody might listen to it, too. And now, you know, you all know this. I don't know. Look, I do so much media. I don't know if I said this here or said it on my radio show or wherever I said it. I have been one of those guys who've been like, no, it's not worth prosecuting Donald Trump. I think it's going to do a lot of harm. I, I, I've said that, and I still think that it'll do a lot of harm. But I think that the grift he's been pulling, forget about the grift for a second. I think that the 
The doubt that he is sowing in millions of Americans about the legitimacy of our republic needs to have a consequence. And I don't know what that consequence is. I don't know if you can be um, you know, prosecuted for this. If there's any way to be prosecuted for this, I think he should be prosecuted for this, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is just exercising free speech. But he did call lawmakers and try to get them to undo the will of the people in their states. He has, you know, vigorously lied throughout the post-election period. He has fomented things that could turn violent. Now, you know, we're not out of the woods yet on violence. I think that it hasn't been violent, and, and that's great. And I don't know if he is stupid enough to call for violence. We've heard, you know, we've seen states like Texas talk about secession. Uh, We've seen, you know, the Arizona or the Nevada GOP, I'm confusing them, talk about taking up arms. But we haven't actually seen that happen. Now, there's been some clashes when there's been protests and rallies, but it has been minor in nature. I, I am concerned you know, as we head in the last four weeks of the Trump presidency, thank God, hallelujah. I am concerned that this president, in some fit of rage, will start tweeting things out that could lead to some sort of violence in this country. And if it does, he needs to be held accountable for that incitement. Um, it is, um, it's not good. But, you know, beyond that, There has been so much ridiculous rhetoric. The Texas lawsuit that the Supreme Court threw out last week uh, was a ridiculous lawsuit that 100 plus members of the House of Representatives signed on to it. What's more ridiculous is that about 25 of those members that signed on were from states that the Texas lawsuit were challenging their election. Now, I believe the House of Representatives shouldn't let those people be seated in Congress. They signed a letter saying, signed an amicus brief, forget about a letter, an amicus brief going to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. By placing your signature on that, you are attesting to the truthfulness of that statement. You signed on to that, a document that challenged the election in your state, the election that elected you. To the House of Representatives. Now, let me ask you this question. If you are alleging fraud in your election, you are alleging fraud in all elections in that state. You shouldn't be seated. You you must know something about fraud. And I think we need to know what happened with that fraud. We need to know if there was fraud in the election that elected you, Congressman. And there are 25 or so members of the House of Representatives who are crying fraud in the very election that elected them. I, I mean, I, I've seen some ridiculous political stunts in my day. I, I, I know I sound young, but I've been working in politics since I was 14 years old. And um, I've seen some ridiculous stunts, but this is a ridiculous thing. This is the kind of thing that is just like so stupid. That really does leave these members of the House of Representatives up uh, you know, it leaves them in a position where they are now forced to defend their own reelection because they have signed on saying that the election process in their state was fundamentally flawed and crooked. Well, why should you go to the House then? 
Why should you be in the House of Representatives? The House of Representatives gets to determine whether or not you get to come to the House of Representatives. And the last time I counted, there were more Democrats in the House than there are Republicans. So maybe there should be, uh, it's, you know, I, you know, there's been people calling for uh, all of those hundred members not to be admitted to the to the Congress. I, I don't believe in that, but there is definitely a case to be made for those people from the states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, and uh, Arizona. Or I think it was maybe it was Nevada, not to be admitted. They have cried foul in their own election. Well, let's believe them. You know what, Congressman? You're right. There was foul play in your election. You shouldn't come and be seated in the House of Representatives. Sorry, you're out. I I, I mean, they believe that there's fraud in their own election. Let them prove there wasn't. (laughs) Let them attest that they just signed this thing as a loyalty test to Donald Trump. Let them do that. Because this is this is a ridiculous thing, and it was a ridiculous stunt by ridiculous people. The Texas Attorney General, Mr. Paxton, is under federal investigation right now, and he's dying for a pardon from this president. A pardon he will most likely get. For although I don't know, maybe because he's such a loser, he won't get it. Um, you know, the Supreme Court said there's no standing. Texas doesn't have standing to challenge the other states' election, and they just threw it out. People were focused for a little while on the dissent from Justice Alito and Thomas, but their their dissent was on uh, original jurisdiction ground, feeling that the Supreme Court should have taken the case on standing, but they would have rejected the case on the merits based on the on the short dissent they wrote. So it basically was nine nothing on the merits, including the three justices that Donald Trump appointed himself. So sorry, Donnie, you know, their lifetime appointments, they didn't need to show loyalty to you. They needed to show loyalty to the Constitution so that when they do, you know, ridiculous conservative things in the future, people could say, well, you know, their loyalties to the Constitution. They don't really care about you. You're not even really a conservative. You don't believe you're not anti-choice, Donald. I mean, I know you pretend to be. But you picked some real anti-choice people to be on the court who are going to try to outlaw abortion, and they don't want to be saddled with the fact that they supported some ridiculous lawsuit that tried to keep you in office after you got 8 million fewer votes than your opponent. No, you know what? Why be on the Supreme Court if you're just going to rip up the Constitution when it comes to you know very cut and dry, clear rules about how we elect our president? I mean... I get it. They're complex rules, but not complex, you know, for people who sit on the Supreme Court. Sorry, Charlie. Done. Over. I never thought for a second that Donald Trump's Supreme Court justice picks would rule in his favor unless there was a clear, clear way for him to maintain power. And there wasn't even in this Texas case. So, I mean, it was a ridiculous gambit. And now, you know, Rudy Giuliani says, oh, no, well, now we're going to challenge him. We're going to go state by state. Well, if you think that the Supreme Court just ruled that you don't have standing as Texas, that any federal court can then take up and say you have standing as Texas in the local jurisdictions, you really are an idiot. And you really do need to go back to law school or at least read, you know, some law books on precedent. The Supreme Court set the standard. The Supreme Court in a seven to two decision said that. Texas doesn't have standing to challenge 
the electoral process in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Nevada or Arizona. I'm getting confused. I can't remember. It's been so long since I, I mean, so much has happened since Friday when I read the opinion. They said you don't have standing. So now you're telling me, Rudy, you're going to go to the lower courts where you also don't have standing? <laughs> you don't have standing. Texas can't challenge Pennsylvania. Sorry, you can't. It's over. The election's over. It's been over for a long time. The Electoral College has now confirmed that Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. Time to move on. Stop grifting people who love you. Stop it. It's nonsense. You know, I didn't want to get too political today because I have a, a, a different kind of guest today. I usually have a political guest, uh, but we're getting close to the holiday season. And um, Brian DeVoe, who was guitar player for a band called Nine, uh, uh, Nine Days, the great band. They uh, had a monster hit called Story of the Girl. You know it. You love it. Trust me. You sing it. You've heard it in the last you know, week if you've listened to any radio stations or even been out shopping, which I hope you're wearing a mask if you do. Um, Brian and I went to high school together. And uh, Brian was a rock star in high school. Uh, and he grew up to be a rock star. And he's got a solo album out. That doesn't mean Nine Days is broken up. They're still together. They're going to be recording some stuff when... Uh, this pandemic's over. They actually just signed a new record contract to record some new music he he, he talks about in the interview. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't want to get too political because I know Brian's got some fans that are probably listening to the podcast today and uh, they uh, probably, I, I, I don't know what their politics is. Hopefully they like what I'm saying. And uh, even if they didn't agree politically, maybe they, they agree now. So welcome to the Aggressive Progressive uh, podcast fans of nine days and fans of Brian DeVoe, but Brian's a great guy. I've known him since I was 14 years old, um, 13 years old. Uh, I think is when I met Brian, when I got to Center Ridge high school, cause I was a little bit younger. Maybe I was 12. I don't, I can't remember 12, 13. I don't know. Um, so, um, but Brian's on, uh, and he does a great interview. He does play some songs for us. Uh, it's hard to do over, uh, zoom, but, uh, we worked it out. Uh, I think the sound quality is pretty good. I think my engineer uh, did a great job with it. So, um, yeah, so sorry about the politics. Uh, and again, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn. So uh, stick around. I got a great interview with a great guy playing some great music. And, uh, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. We've seen all the video call fails by now, the mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn that thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. 
a guy you should follow on Instagram because he's often playing live music there, is a guy who I had the fortune to go to high school with and see him in his infancy at the guitar, Brian DeVoe. Uh, you might know him from the band Nine Days. He's got a new album coming out, uh, out now, actually. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm uh, just here in Tennessee, hanging out. <laughs> eating some of that hot studio. eating some of that hot chicken i was down in tennessee last october i did an appearance yeah. there uh i tried to hook up with you you weren't around uh and um had a I blast I was in new york actually. i think you were <laughs> i had a blast down in tennessee it was it was it was awesome uh brian it's been a while since you've been on the air with me i i thought i'd take some time tonight and just kind of walk people through your rock journey a little bit you, to sure. me, you were a rock star when I met you in like 1985. I mean, you had the long hair, you were in a band, you know, you were super cool. Um, you know, and you, you, you grew up to actually make it in rock. I mean, you had a, you had a number one hit, uh, Story of the Girl with your band Nine Days, your former band Nine Days. I guess it's still your band Nine Days, right? I mean, it's still. Yeah. Yeah. Things, things have been tough for us <clears throat> being that I'm down here and uh, those guys are still on Long Island and, um. We um we actually have a record deal right now, but it's just kind of sitting there because um, we haven't really been able to get together. We've been kind of passing some music back and forth, but um, we're all kind of just trying to get through this like everyone. And I think next year, you know, we'll uh, now that I finally got my record out, I could move forward and we could, um, you know, do some stuff with the band. I think that I next, year's, John, next year is going to be great for music because people are just dying for live music right now. I know it's crazy. So, um, so, you know, I, I really want you to kind of explain your journey. You know, you started at a young age. You used to say to me, oh, I'm not the greatest guitar player. Last time I interviewed you, I think it was like six years ago. You're like, I'm not the greatest guitar player. I always thought you were a great guitar player. Like even when we were kids, I thought, wow, this guy, can, this guy really works at it. He's really good. Well, it, it's interesting because I have old videos and, you know, every once in a while we'll break them out and I'll see how I used to play. <laughs> It's kind of like, wow, that, I, that was pretty good. You know, I don't play like that anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I have uh, my phases, I guess. There's a, there's a song called Mother's Son on my new record that I played some good guitar on it. And, and I, I joke about it, but I literally plugged in and I was tracking the solo and I played it once. I turned all my pedals on to get a cool sound. And, and I don't know if I could play it again. <laughs> it just kind of happened. It's awesome. But, um, you know, like we've probably talked before, I got into music, you know, with Kiss, you know, the band. And um, for me, they were more they were more like superheroes at the time. I was really young. And, you know, as I grew older <clears throat> and my father um, played country music, you know, and he had his guitars and stuff. And I still have his guitar with That's me awesome. now today. And it uh, there's a song on my new record called Dad's Guitar, which we could talk about later. But, Absolutely. Um, you know, so he was a big influence on me. And, um, you know, after I got out, of, I guess, you know, started to get into high school and stuff, I heard ACDC and Ozzy and I started to get into that kind of music and everything. Iron Maiden, you know, the whole 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's when I started playing in bands, <clears throat> probably when you remember. And we did a lot of stuff at the school, which was really fun. You know, my my still, I've played, I played Madison Square Garden. I've done the Hard Rock Fest in Chicago, huge shows. Yeah. I played George Bush's inauguration, which I didn't vote for him, <laughs> although I have nothing against him. Um, 
but it was that was awesome, well you had the you biggest know, song in america when he got inaugurated in 2001 it was the number one song in the world yeah, really i mean it was, it was everybody knows that song so so, so you know, but but so before high school be, was still one of my proud moments is like you know i remember ninth grade walking into the auditorium and say you know i'm gonna play here yeah. and then in the variety show we did it, and it was well awesome. you know who was doing sound <laughs> you know who was doing sound for both your variety show show and then we did a show like senior week, me. Yes. <laughs> I yeah, was I on the soundboard for those shows. Uh, I remember like it was yesterday. I remember the principal saying, turn it down. And like yeah. you guys sing, turn it up. And I was like, I would like turn it down and the principal walk away. And then I turn it all the way back up. <laughs> it was awesome. They're like, you're going to break the board. You're going to break the equipment. We were so poor. <laughs> yeah. It's like so funny. And you know, I, it's been a while, but I think my wife and I may have drove by the school. I don't know. I, I haven't been home in a year because of the everything. But yep. It looks exactly the same. It looks exactly the same. My daughter sometimes plays indoor soccer there in the winter. Yeah. And I go in and the gymnasium, it doesn't have like the, you know, we had all these decorations in there. That's gone. And they don't write on the wall by the track anymore, but it's still the right. same. So, well, I haven't, I haven't been inside, but yeah, the, the sign and like the planetarium, like it all looks it's all like the it, same. 1983 again, or 85. It's, it's crazy. So, it <laughs> so um, let's play something. Why don't you play something from like something that you think about when you say, this is what really turned me on to guitar and rock and roll and got me going inspired um, me well uh it's funny because um can you hear that yeah i can hear it that is my dad's guitar so we'll see how i uh <clears throat> i'm like a late beatles fan like like i said i was into metal and rock and all that stuff right. but for some reason i always heard john lennon on the radio and he always it, it just takes me back when i hear his his solo stuff you yeah know? And, and then later in life, literally, probably in the past 20 years, I got really heavily into the Beatles. Uh, John and my band, my co-founder, he was always a Beatles fan. I'm a huge fan. I was Beatles like, fan. oh, I like John Lennon, but that's about it, you know? And then um, now I'm like really into Paul McCartney and Wings. Like, I love those Wings records. Nice. Like I've seen Paul McCartney in concert 19 times. Oh, that's awesome. I saw him once and it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. And that was uh, about four years ago here in Nashville. Nice. We scalped my my friend and I, my friend and producer, Paul Umbach, who worked on the record with me. He a uh, huge, huge Beatle fan. Actually, he got me into the Beatles later in life. And I was like, dude, we're going to see Paul McCartney. I don't care what you say. And he's like, oh, but it's not him. It's like an older version. No, he was Dude, great. it's Paul McCartney. He's great. So we went downtown and I think we paid 250 bucks each and we went in and he was crying. So <laughs> yeah, I, I have lots of awesome. Paul. Mac I have lots of Paul McCartney concerts. All right, so play us out because I only got about two minutes and thirty seconds left in this segment. Play All us right, out so with something John that Lennon song. Since we, John Lennon passed, uh, you know, forty years now. So great, um, and we're gonna do more with him. I, so after this, oh, go ahead. Always love to play. Yeah. Oh, play it now. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our life together is so precious. Together. We have grown, we have grown, although our love is still special, let's take a chance and fly away somewhere alone. It's been so long since we took the time, no one's to blame, I know time flies so quickly. But when I see you go 
darling It's like we both start falling in love again It'll be just like starting over Starting over Somebody the uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody put on our on like our class of eighty nine <laughs> message board. Who's the most famous graduate from Center Ridge High School? And somebody was putting up that I was the most famous graduate. They're like, no, no, no. Brian DeVoe had a monster hit. Okay, number one hit that they'll be playing a hundred years after he's dead. Nobody's going to remember what I said to Laura Ingram or Rudy Giuliani next week. <laughs> You know, I mean, my stuff is gone. You know, if I disappeared, nobody's going to remember what I said. You said nah, that's not true. Well, I don't think so. Not not. Trust me. A hundred years from now, nobody's like, remember when Chris Hahn was on the Ingram angle and chewed out Rudy Giuliani in front of a hundred million people? No, nobody's going to care. <laughs> but they will be singing. This is the story of a girl for the rest of their life. For the rest of. Yeah, we did make we did make a mark. So I will say that. You sure did. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, that must have been a wild ride for you, right? I mean, you guys are playing clubs here on Long Island and in the city. Maybe, you know, you go on some local tours and such. And you were making it as you were making a living as musicians because you were all very good musicians. But then to go from that to this other thing, I mean, t- t- tell me that feeling. What was that? Well, it's interesting because, you know, when we were in high school, like I said, I was playing in bands and stuff. And yeah, I wanted to be a musician for my life. It wasn't just like, to party and all that stuff. And I think when we graduated, um, you know, I tried college. I, I was, uh, I was into drafting and stuff. I don't know if you remember, what was the name of our teacher, the drafting teacher? I have no, re- no recollection. Okay. Okay. Well, I did really good in that class. So I went into college and then I kind of like after six months was like, this is not what I went right in, you know, cause where'd, right you, where'd you go? Grade. Where'd you and go to college? I just went to Suffolk, you know, it was, got it. It was um, a drafting class and, but I was doing everything, you know, and I was just kind of like, I, I'm just tired of this right now. I need to take a break. So right. um, I was playing in different bands and then I hooked up with John Hampson, who's the co-founder of nine days. And um, we, uh, we, we were playing together in kind of a rock band for a while. And then when that disbanded, we took, took a year off and just started writing and really wanted to write music that we were listening to like Springsteen and, Dylan and Neil Young, you know, stuff with more meaning. And um, we ended up putting out one record in 95 on our own. And then two after that. 
And it was the same, you know, we were playing all the clubs and, and we had a, a steady night at the village pub in Port Jeff, if you remember that. Yeah. Place. And that oh, became, yeah. that became kind of our home and we built up a following there. And then after that, we started moving to New York city and the bitter end, uh, which is, you know, a big, big songwriter place for like Bob Dylan and Billy Joel and everybody. Yep, you know? yep. Um, and we, that became our home in New York city. And that's pretty much where we got signed. Now, the thing is we, we were passed up millions of times and everybody liked us and we had good songs, but we just didn't have that home run. And we actually had a deal before we had written story of a girl, but, um, you know, our management was like, look, you could take this small deal and go out on the road and build up a following. And, you know, who knows what would happen if we did it that way, but we didn't. Right. <laughs> we turned it down and we, we spent the summer and uh, John came up with this song and, and then, uh, and that was it, you know, it was 98 and we were, we demoed it with a couple other songs. And by the end of 98, we were done the cover scene. We were playing under a different name. Yeah. And we were making a living and, and we were really good as a band because of that. We hey, were playing tight. sometimes seven nights a week. Just like the Beatles going to Hamburg. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, just much smaller. <laughs> right, right. But, but we, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I think the, the, we had some stuff going on with the cover band and that kind of was breaking up. And I think John was going into school for something and, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden we got the call that Columbia of all labels was interested awesome and then after that it was like everybody we ended up going with sony 550 was another branch of you know sony and columbia um and then uh you know it's just kind of the same story you know we we lived good three years of living the life and touring and and then we did a second record with epic because the small label 550 kind of folded and once we went to epic we were kind of a small you know fish in the big pond they say and you know, Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine, yeah, yeah. you know, the list, the list goes on. And, you know, we did this record for a stupid amount of money and um, it was just not the right record for us to make. You know, no one, no one, we made a good, good rock record, but nobody said, hey, you got to write another story of a girl. Right. So because of that, it got shelved. I think they just released it like two years ago. Sony, huh. that is. Didn't even tell us. All of a sudden there it was. There was no money for you, <laughs> but then, uh, then, uh, it's out there if you want to buy it. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. called So Happily Unsatisfied. It's a cool record, but I, I feel like it's half of a great record, you know. But anyway, um, after that, we stayed together. You know, I was living in Manhattan, writing jingles and playing with other artists and yep. stuff. And then eventually I just I just needed a change and I moved to Nashville um, to kind of dove into this and and that I've been here 12 years and that's kind of run its course. So I'm, I still love Tennessee, but I'm kind of out of that scene. You're coming I mean, home. I, I mean, I think people. we'd love to have you back here playing places, man. Yeah. It's just so expensive. I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, once, you know, once this uh, whole thing hopefully eases out, you know, next year when we have some real people, you know, in, in charge. <laughs> yes. We'll, we're... uh, well, that's um, that's really you know you write the story of the girl that's basically the story of my life talking about real know, people in like, charge like, aren't we supposed to be yelling about politics right now? <laughs> i'm trying you know it's the holiday season i'm trying to be less yelly today even though i really i, 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 I did some yelling <laughs> earlier and i'll do some yelling when when i'm done talking to you but I, i'm really you know i'm i am so impressed with the career you've had i mean to me i mean even just making a living doing you know what you love even if it's not a big living, 
right? I mean, you didn't become a, a gazillionaire, but you, you really, you got to play some big places. You got to meet some awesome people and do some good things. And you made- Oh, we did, yeah. And you made millions of people happy. And you still make millions of people happy. That song is played, you know, it's still in wide rotation. Um, it is. My daughter loves it too. My daughter, when she gets my iPhone, it's one of the first five songs she plays. So, um, and that's why it keeps us going to, you know, like I said, we're going to do something next year and, um, we'll we'll keep making music. You know, I know John wants to record some of his own stuff too. Actually three years ago was, he told me he was going to do a record and that's what started my idea of doing a record, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about Um, your new album, full heart, uh, which is your solo album. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. And I'm really interested to, you know, hear about the evolution. I want to hear you're going to play something when we come back. Uh, Full Heart It's available wherever you get records, right? Can you do Amazon for sure? Um, yeah, iTunes. It's, um, it's, it's uh, iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Amazon. There's two Amazon Musics, I think. And then there's a couple others. And then it's on like YouTube. But um, I will be doing vinyl. I just ran oh, into nice. technical technical difficulties. It was supposed to be out at the same time, but... The vinyl will be ready well, probably February. People, and, uh, people will love that. Your that. fans here in New York will love that. All right. Brian, as we've talked, he's got a new album coming out. It's called Full Heart. A lot of great songs on there. Brian, you're going to play something from the album. Tell, tell us what you're going to play. Sure. Um, well, the first single, if you know, you can call it a single anymore. I don't know. What, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's called Wish You Were Well, which was the first song I wrote for the record. But I'm going to play um, this song called Dad's Guitar. And this song is, you know, by my dad's guitar. It's a 1968 Yamaha that my mother bought him for their engagement. And it's been in my life, my whole life. And I have it with me now. There and you go. I play this guitar on every song in the record. So Awesome. So let's hear it. So here it is. Dad's guitar. Put it in a box back in 67. Shipped it to the local music store. He sat there for a while, hanging on the wall. That Yamaha was all she could afford. And Mama brought it home, Daddy got it tuned up right. And he wound up sitting there all night. Playing all those cowboy songs, Hank Williams to George Jones, White Lightning right down to your cold, cold heart. Never was a big stage dreamer, but that blue collar six stringer held us together when the times got hard. Made a lot of them. There's only one of Dad's guitar. Don't think I saw him smile Bigger than he did First time he showed me That you could I started my first band The day I turned 16 And I never thought I wanted nothing And I got all mixed up In that music city scene but no matter where I was, I knew where he would be. Playing all those cowboy songs, Hank Williams to George Jones, 
White lining right down to your cold, cold heart Never was a big stage dreamer But that blue color six stringer Held us together when the times got hard Made a lot of them But there's only one of them Dad's guitar And my brother brought it by day we laid him down when I'm missing him the most I'll take it out and play all those cowboy songs Hank Williams to George Jones white lightning right down to your cold cold heart never was a big stage dreamer but that blue color six stringer held us together when the times got hard there's only one of them. Yeah, I played a lot of them. And I wouldn't trade nothing. Dad's guitar. That's it. That's awesome, man. That is a hit, if you ask me. That's a hit. That's this, probably this. the most country song on the record. And there's, um, I got my friend Kyle Everson to play some pedal steel on it. But uh, it's hard for me. I almost didn't make it through that song just now. Yeah, <laughs> I, bet. I bet. I bet. Um, I bet. I mean, so it, as you could see the name, um, you know, I lost my parents in 17 pretty close. And, you know, like I said, I was planning on putting out just a country record of all these country songs I had laying around just doing nothing. And then I wrote this song called Wish You Were Well which is about me obviously wishing that they were well at yep. the time. Yep. And that changed everything. So I, I, uh, every song I wrote, I just started pulling songs off the set list and I came up with 10 songs that all kind of fit together. And a lot of it is about that. And then there's songs about my marriage. I got married in 1918. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really old. Uh, you're, from what I could see, you're a lot older than your wife. I mean, you're definitely living that rock star life. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I won't ask. Um, <laughs> what's that? I won't ask how old she is. Oh, no, she's not that young, much younger than me. My wife um, is a social worker. Um, she's on the front line, so I want to shout out to her. Good, dark, good for her. My wife is a social worker, too, but she left it for politics. Oh, really? Yeah, she's got her master's in social work. And she still considers herself social work. It's like the most important part of her political career is that she's always trying yeah. to, to find a way to make things better for people who are having, having tough. And social workers are awesome people. So, Yeah, my wife, Jenna, is she takes care of a lot of people. Um, and uh, she's got the, the biggest heart. Um, but um, yeah, we got married in 2018. And uh, a funny story is actually in 2000, when we had a hit song, um, her mom uh won the wbli contest and john and i played a party in their backyard oh my so I god met her, i met her 20 years ago and then years later we connected that's amazing to me so that's a pretty pretty crazy story um anyway uh, i recorded the record in 2019 um half the record i wrote myself because they were they're very personal songs i think they're highly relatable but they they just came out like Yep. And then the other half, I wrote with some friends here in Nashville. And uh, actually, Jenna, my wife, wrote one of the songs with me. That's great. And she plays some violin on the record. Um, so it's a, it's a, 
it's a big, the first line of the title track full heart is family is everything. So it's, it's a family record. It's, it's um, like I said, it's very, very dear to me and, and, and my family and my friends and fans, I hope. Um, but like I said, I think there's something on there that people can relate to. Well, let's, and, let's tell them how to get it again. Yeah. Well, the link, um, I know you have the link, so I don't know. If you post I'll be, that on I'll be posting it on my, uh, on my Twitter feed and on my Facebook feed. And, uh, of course, people listening right now, you could go to Amazon or you could go to iTunes and it's called Full Heart, Brian DeVoe. Uh, And it's awesome. Brian is an awesome musician. He's been an awesome musician forever. I've had him play in the studio. One of the things I hate about COVID is you're not here. Would have loved to have you here. Uh, So you guys in the airport? I'm still in the airport. I'm I'm in the airport on Thursday nights. And then I do my other show, my WABC show in, in Manhattan on Sundays and yeah. uh, before this year, we, um, we, uh, every time we'd come home, I'd, I'd be like, Hey, that's where Chris's thing is. And, uh, <laughs> I think you were in there once and I waved to you ah. other that, other than that, you should came in, you. man. Why would you just wave? That doesn't matter. I'm on the air. Who cares? Nobody cares. <laughs> it's radio. Right, the beautiful thing about radio, the difference between radio and television is everything. Anything goes in radio, but I am up against the break, brother. I love you. This was great. Brian DeVoe, pick up his new album. Full Heart, iTunes, Amazon. Look for it on my Twitter feed. Brian, thanks for joining me. Chris Hahn, I'll be right back. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. I'll tell you, one of the things I miss most is live music. Anybody who knows me knows I love a concert. We'll see bands, good bands play. I uh, I really do. And Brian has performed in my studio, my radio studio, uh, before. And it, it's nothing like seeing a pro like that go to work, like just one-on-one. It, it's just one of the great things I've had happen in my career, being able to see real good live music right right up close and I miss it. I, I miss it more, you know, than any of the things that they've taken away. I miss like going to the movies and live music. And, you know, I do miss obviously going out and seeing people and shaking hands. But, uh, you know, it's just I can't wait till next year. I mean, this time next year, I think we're going to be good. The The vaccine started shipping this week. People were getting, uh, you know, frontline healthcare workers were being immunized on Monday um, you know, I, I, you know, I know that we've got five weeks before we have a competent government again. Uh, hopefully they don't mess this up. I think some of the people that have been involved with Operation Warp Speed have been actually good people. So I'm hoping that uh, they don't mess it up. Of course, we learned last week that the president passed on 100 million extra doses of the Pfizer vaccine. So it's going to be a little while before we get those. And the other vaccines have yet to be approved, but they should be approved. Uh, you know, let's just hope that uh, everything goes smoothly 
and people start getting vaccinated and by June, you know, we have herd immunity in this country. And, you know, by, you know, the end of the summer, we're all back to as normal as we can be, um, knowing what we've just gone through and we're seeing each other and we're going to events and things are starting to open up. Uh, it's going to be a tough, long winter America. We're, we're looking at a 9-11 worth of deaths every day for the next three months. And the president wonders why America didn't vote for him, right? He wonders why. It, it would have been so easy for him just to encourage people to take this seriously. Instead, he made this into a political thing. He made this into a political thing. He made it so wearing a mask, social distancing, you know, having that tough conversation with your family at Christmas about what we're going to do is a political thing. And we're all paying the price for it. Thank God it's over. Thank God it's over. I I am so happy that this presidency is coming to an end and it's we're going to have real smart, intelligent people running our government. People who care about government. People who don't think that government doesn't have a role to play in things like this. It's going to be um, a big relief, not just here, but abroad as well, because, you know, this president threatened our alliances. He, he, he threatened really our friends around the world and he boasted our boasted our enemies. I, I can't wait till January 20th. I am so excited. So um, I hope you are too. And I hope you enjoyed that interview, Brian. I know some of the interview, uh, some of the edits were a little rough, but uh, especially that first one, because, you know, he was playing us out. I wanted him to play a song in that first segment. When I do my radio show, I'm on a syndicated clock because I'm on multiple stations around the country. So I can't go long ever because of the way the show's delivered. People just take it off the cloud and it's, you know, it's segmented. So I can't go long and, uh, you know, Brian and I got to talking and two kids from Center H having a conversation. And uh, he started playing towards the end of the first segment. That's why I had him do his uh, song from his uh, from his new album um, right at the top of that last segment so that I can, you know, it's three segments kind of pieced together um, in this uh, podcast. But it's three segments on the radio. Uh, it's almost the full hour, three segments, believe it or not. I, I do four segments in the hour. The last segment's 10 minutes. So, um, you know, uh, he, he did most of the hour and it, it was, uh, it was great seeing him and it was great hearing him play. And, uh, I can't wait to see him live again. I've seen him live. I've been seeing this guy live, uh, you know, since I was a teenager, um, back at, uh, Center Reach High School. So it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be great when this is over. I know we're all looking forward to it, right? I know we all can't wait. Um, that's what makes me so annoyed with conservatives that think Democrats are happy about this for some reason. Why would I be happy about this? I'm not happy about this at all. I'm not even, I'm not even a little happy about this. There's nothing about this that makes me happy. Now, have I done okay during this COVID-19 crisis? Of course. I've made the best of it, and I think most of you probably have too. But I'm not happy about it. I miss people. There are a lot of people who I'm used to seeing all the time my entire career who I have not seen in a very long time, and I miss them. There are things I'm used to doing that I do not do. Yeah, okay. So I, you know, I I, I go out for walks and I, uh, I I live in a decent house, so I I'm not, you know, I'm not wanting for anything. Thank God. But I look around and I see so many friends and so many people struggling right now. It's a travesty. So no Democrat, no person of any type who cares about people is happy about this. 
Okay, I'm not. I'm not happy about it. Am I happy about certain things? I'm happy that more people voted in this election than ever because states gave them other options on how to vote. Now that we know we can make it easy, we should make it easy all the time. And I know Republicans in red states that are turning purple or blue like Texas and Georgia might try to pull some of that stuff back. That's why we need an attorney general that's going to enforce the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act in this country. I'm going to take them to task as they try to make it harder for people to vote because that might be the only way they can hold on to power because Republicans, quite frankly, are a minority party whose voters are not expanding. Their voting base is not expanding. In fact, they're dying because they're older. And I'm not happy that they're dying, but it's just a fact of life. You got to always got to correct yourself in this day and age, right? You always got to you always got to watch out because somebody might hashtag cancel you. <laughs> I don't want any of that. I know you don't want it either. So a couple of weeks left in the year. I will be doing fresh shows every single week, uh, even during the holidays. So uh, there'll be a fresh, aggressive, progressive uh, on your playlist on Tuesdays. I I can't afford. Look, I I am not Pod Save America. I have a good following, uh, but I don't have millions of people who are just waiting for my next podcast. So, um, uh, you know, I got to keep up. And I'm going to keep up. So while Pod Save America is going to be in reruns or not even broadcasting at all during the holidays, um, I will be ranting and raving during the holidays. So uh, feel free to tell your friends, hey, you know, you, know, you need some uh, liberal rants? Check out Chris Hahn's Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You all have been doing a great job with that. That's why this podcast continues to grow. And I really love you for it. And I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth question everyone and everything even me seek the truth i know it's out there and i know you'll find it if you look for it and i'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as i see it i'm chris Hahn. thanks for listening to the aggressive progressive podcast want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com meet treadwell your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle get your best match in one minute or less with treadwell by discount tire we've seen all the video call fails by now the mute button mishaps the cat cameos people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off but none of this makes fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy bitsy baby duck how do i turn that thing off it's too late fred it's too late when you realize it's better to do business in person it matters where you stay welcome to the hilton garden and fred the meeting room is right down the hall hilton for the stay